so as we were reading that passage, um, what did that make you think of? Like, where are you seeing suffering or feeling suffering um, this morning for yourself or for other people? Uh, in the chat bar, just put a little message and I'll... Um, I remember one of the first sermons that we heard at Storyline from Ted was him going on and on about how the Bible was not written to us. It wasn't written for us. Like he's talking, uh, talking about uh, the Israelites and the hardships and uh, like we are us white people are not the oppressed people. And so it made me think about that, you know, as we read about um, suffering, um, you know, that, um, that I want to be mindful of people um who are suffering. And in this moment in time, it's not me. Um, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. 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 Very valid. Very valid. John, you have something you want to say? Here. Oh, there you go. You got it. So um, in the last week, uh, my laptop, printer, and microwave have gone out of order. So it's a first world problem, but golly molly, you know, you don't realize how much you depend on electronics until they all go out. Any one would have been difficult, but all three in the same week? Hmm. So there was a, a power outage at the apartments a few days ago, and my laptop, there it is, was on a uh, strip, what do you call it, surge protector? Yeah, it went out. Called around, the person does the computer for our apartments, the person is a lady, and so, I'm a, and so I've got a raise to take it to her this afternoon to be fixed. So that could be good. The printer, it said, hey, we're not working. It may be the printer, maybe ink, restart it. And then one time it says, you need cayenne ink. I ordered all the inks, of course, all of the cayenne. And it says, it's still the same problem. So probably need to replace that. No fun. Fire microwave a couple months ago. First two weeks, great. Now, the only way for it to work is not to, not just to push the button, but my fingernail in the exact right spot. And the exact right spot is moving around. So, it's on warranty, but that's going to be no fun to send it back away on that. So it's, so the other thing is, be careful what you ask for. I had, uh, I said, God, I need to pray more and meditate more. Well, hello! Cut off the laptop in my world. What is there to do besides pray and meditate? So, 
it's it's a first world suffering. Yeah, yeah. But those are, I mean, you know, right now it's hard to it's hard to like find new things, or it takes time to find new things. And um, yeah, I can imagine that is kind of difficult, you know, being there by yourself and those things going out for sure. Um, Ted. Yeah. You asked the question and there was a lot of silence there for a while. And I was just kind of sitting in that and thinking it's, I don't think it's because for a lack of suffering, I think it's because we are surrounded by suffering right now. It is just like, it's almost overwhelming that we're drowning in it. And it ranges from like real serious systemic injustice that has uh, that at the moment has a light shined on it and has, has, has us riled up wanting to do something about that and hoping that, you know, that actually leads to some change mm-hmm. um, all the way down to I've been trapped in my house for three months with my family that I love, but sometimes it's really hard to show them that I love them all the time because I've been trapped in the house for three months with them. Um, and it's not the same kind of suffering. It's a different kind of suffering. And just all that to say from, from that all the way to the other, we're just, we're drowning in suffering right now. So it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you all. That's, um, yeah, I had a whole part of my message prepared to, you know, talk about the suffering and, I was like, you know what? I can just ask the question because they're intelligent people. They know. Um, so yeah, those are things I was thinking, things I wasn't thinking. Um, I am going to talk today about suffering and, uh, what Ted said, um, reminded me of something that I saw, uh, a friend of mine post on Facebook and it was just a black woman talking about how she'd seen so many times that, when we get into the cycle of white people learning about racism and white people saying, okay, we need to change things. Eventually there always comes a point where we just become completely overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem. And instead of continuing on or even sitting with that, we just bury our heads back in the sand and we kind of put our bad feelings about it onto the black people who are still working for justice and that she is worried about that. Um, she is skeptical of our involvement because she's worried about what will happen when we realize that it is a huge problem. Uh, so I want to talk today about um, some hope in that situation, but before I do, I'm going to take us down a little. So going to take us down, but don't worry, we're going to come back up. So <laughs> um, I thought about uh, the suffering of black people in this country related to uh, police brutality. Um, that was on my mind when I was thinking about this passage. Uh, like Jen said, that there are ways that we're not suffering, right? That other people are. Um, last night I listened to something that Duncan sent me where some black women were discussing the impact of COVID on their communities and about how uh, it was hitting, you know, the black communities hardest. And 
even in the midst of that happening because they don't have as much access to health care or because um, the stress of living in our like racially charged society has taken this toll on their bodies. And so they're more vulnerable to, to, to disease uh, or when they try to then get help, they're not listened to um, as well as, you know, other people might be listened to. And then to hear, you know, our president say, well, it's it's affecting them because they're in worse health because they've made poor health choices. Um, and so not only to be suffering, but to be kicked while you're suffering. Um, and so those things were on my mind. Uh, I wrote, I read this book by Tanisi Coates and he's a journalist and he's an atheist um, but he wrote it and it's called Between the World and Me. It's a letter to his son, to his teenage son. And so what he says is this. He says, I believed and still do that our bodies are ourselves, that my soul is the voltage conducted through neurons and nerves, and that my spirit is my flesh. He says, here is what I would like for you to know. In America, it is traditional to destroy the black body. It is heritage. Enslavement was not merely the antiseptic borrowing of labor. It is not so easy to get a human being to commit their body against its own elemental interest. And so enslavement must be casual wrath and random manglings. There's no uplifting way to say this. I have no praise anthems, nor old Negro spirituals. The spirit and soul are the body and brain which are destructible. That is precisely why they are so precious. And the soul did not escape. The spirit did not steal away on gospel wings. The soul was the body that fed the tobacco, and the spirit was the blood that watered the cotton, and these created the first fruits of the American garden. Uh, he pulls this thread. He calls that disembodiment, the threat of disembodiment, right? Uh, and since he doesn't believe in an afterlife, and he doesn't believe in a soul in the sense that we do, um, that's an extremely um, terrifying prospect to him, right, to be uh, to have your body taken from you, because that's who you are. Uh, he draws this through to a friend of his who died, who was killed by the police, and you just talked about how everything that that man's community had given him, all of the time, all of the ways that they'd sacrificed to take him to sports, all of the money, all of the education, all of the love, all of the teaching about his heritage, um, that in one racist act, uh, it was all taken away and gone. The man was like broken and everything that was inside of him, all of that was just poured out like water and lost. Uh, he talks a lot about the pain that comes from being under that kind of constant threat of disembodiment. Um, now, so we as Christians, if we believe, right, that the soul goes to heaven and we do believe that the truth that's contained in Negro spirituals matters, um, all of that is well and good, but I think sometimes we can use it to blind ourselves or to shield ourselves from the depth of suffering that people actually go through, right? Because even if um, God is going to make all things right, even if the suffering is going to be redeemed, even if uh, that person's soul goes to heaven when they've been a victim of police brutality, um, I don't think that God wants us to... Uh, gloss over the fact that it's a tremendous loss um, for the people who love that person, for the community around them, for an entire race, um, for this to be their heritage, right? I don't think God wants us to be blinded to that. Um, and it can never be an excuse for us not to try to make that situation better, right? 
So enough is said in this passage to people who suffer unjustly, um, that God is going to redeem their suffering, right? What about to people who suffer for just reasons? Uh, there's that one line where he says, if you suffer, don't let it be as a murderer or a thief or even a meddler, right? And he kind of assumes that we're not going to suffer for that reason. Or I think maybe com- like commentaries just assume, well, we're not going to suffer for that reason. And partially, uh, we kind of have a blind spot, right? As American Christians, we have a blind spot to the fact that uh, we might not be the persecuted ones. And we're obviously coming to realize that that's not true. Um, but traditionally, that's been our, our position is that we're the persecuted ones. And we don't consider even the things that we do, the sins that we do commit to kind of reach that level of murder or theft or meddling even, right? It's not meddling if someone needs to be told the truth. So, um, But if we're the beneficiaries of a country that's built on stolen labor and lives like Coates describes, and if we're the ones who are physically safe in a country where so many people fear daily for their lives, if we've lived carelessly rather than see the pain of people of color, then any suffering that we might experience seems justified, according to Peter. And also, we may have something that we need to do to alleviate the suffering uh, of those people, right? So how do we respond in this situation or any other when we're faced with the reality that our past and present are built on a foundation of sin? Um, I think our first response usually is to repent. And we, we have all, I think, been doing that and will continue to do that. And then we start to strive to work things, make things better, right? We work really hard to make things better. We want to move forward. We want it to be different than it was. Um, we think of progress like a mountain, right? Like when we make goals or when we think of progress, we're like, okay, we're going to go up the mountain, continually climbing this mountain. Uh, and it's very linear, like linear and always up. Um, we don't want to tear things down, right? We don't want to tear the mountain down that we're standing on to move forward. We just want to keep going up. Um, so in business models, uh, this is uh, what they call a masculine business model, uh, a linear way of thinking. Um, the spirit is valued above the body. Heaven is valued above the earth. Um, nature is something that we control, right? There's linear growth. There's continuous achievement. There's a meritocracy that the people at the top are the people who deserve to be the people at the top. There's a hierarchy, so there's always people at the top, people at the bottom. And we value speed and efficiency. So, like, what's the fastest way that we can fix this problem? And usually we want to start at the top and work our way down because the top is the, right, the top is the problem. Um, but the problem that we're facing here, the systemic racism in our country is so big. Um, it's so much bigger than we can comprehend or conquer. Uh, we can't even, like if we're looking at it as a mountain to conquer, we can't even imagine how big it is. Uh, and so like that woman said on Twitter, there's this very real possibility that we're going to look at it and realize, oh, we can't do this and turn around and run away. Um, and the values that we instinctively want to use, like this conquering, this top-downness, uh, this make-it-happen-fast, um, those are actually the same values that created our past and are informing our present. And so if we use those values to conquer the problem, we're just dragging all of that forward with us, all of that baggage forward with us, right? 
So there's got to be a different way, I think. Um, I've been reading this book called The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, and it's a woman who's talking about uh, learning about a feminine view of spirituality. Um, and what she says is when you can't go forward and you can't go backward and you can't stay where you are without killing off what is deep and vital in yourself, you're on the edge of creation. And I thought it was really interesting that she used the word creation and not progress, right? Um, she, because creation to me implies a cycle of death and rebirth. Um, yeah. Uh, she kind of draw this, this out through the life of women because she says that there are constant cycles within women of creation and destruction of tearing down and rebuilding of dying and rebirth. Um, every month we have the opportunity to create another baby or then maybe we don't. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting to it. Don't, don't get scared. It's all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> that's like an intrinsic process that's happening within us all the time. Um, we are able to uh, have a baby. We're able to lose a baby. We're able to then have another one. I mean, it's a continuous process for us. We are always in the middle of some cycle of death and life and creation, right? We can even see this further in the earth and in nature. Um, it's extremely easy to see the water cycle, to see the way a plant goes to seed. And it, um, the seed from that plant dies and goes into, and goes into the earth and dies and then becomes another plant, which makes more seeds, right? Um, it's easy for us to see those small cycles, those things that kind of keep our world moving forward. And so uh, projecting out from those life cycles, these are some aspects of a feminine business model. So the first one is cyclical growth, which is also like iterative development. Um, when I was in software development, there were two uh, ways of looking at design. And one of them was called the waterfall method. And so that's where you would do all your design, and then you would do all your building, and then you would do all your testing. And then the end result would be a product, and it would just be given to people like, here you are. Um, but often that ended up not creating a product that truly met the needs of the people and it ended up being uh, wasted work. And so what they started doing was this thing called iterative design, which is where you design and build and test a very small feature, right? A very small part. And then you go around and then you take whatever feedback you have from that cycle forward to the next cycle where you start again with design build, test, and you go around and around and around. And over time, even though you're just going in circles, you eventually like build this body of work and this product that has been informed by constant feedback. And that has been, um, that's more robust than something where uh, they just use the waterfall method. So when I was, um, I was on a project, it was my first or second project out of college. And I was the only woman on the software development team. And we were working with this client, and her name was Janice. And every time I thought of her, um, it was like, you know, and Janice from Friends. And she says, I'm like a foghorn, Janice, Janice. Like that, <laughs> that's what she was like. Um, but she had this really good idea for this product that we were building. And one morning I came in and all the guy engineers were standing around and they all looked so sad, you guys. And I was like, what happened? And they said, 
Janice just told us that all this work that we've done is not exactly what we needed to do. So now we have to scrap it all and move forward with something else. And I was like, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. But you know, I was like, oh, no, but I have to I have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm real sorry. This is bad. Uh, because to them, it was extremely bad that we had to scrap all the work. Uh, one of them described it as seeing this entire mountain of work that you had worked on just be swept away. Um, which could be a very disturbing feeling, right? Um, but in this feminine business model, this iterative development, this cyclical growth um, is actually the way that we move forward. Other characteristics of the feminine business model are connecting with nature, asking questions, collaboration, interdependence, sustainability. Uh, so we're not just eating up resources, but we're creating processes and things that um, can be replicated and move forward. Um, mindfulness, right? Um, I wanted to ask you guys, when you think about those characteristics, are there ways, are, are there, do those characteristics resonate with you in any way? I Personally, I think there's a lot of ways that those characteristics are built into our life um, with Storyline as a community. Uh, I even think of Terry, what you said about how you listened to that man talk about his story rather than speaking first, right? Um, you ask questions. So are there aspects of that for you guys that um, that resonate to you? Note in the chat bar. I'm thinking about how the creation iterative process necessitates um, almost this uh, posture of confession that we don't have it all right, um, that we're actually not as in control as we think, where the masculine sort of build as you go, I have this mountain of work, implies a certain amount of control and knowledge that we don't have that the iterative process invites us to constantly be reminding that we're not, uh, this might be an oversight, but we're not God. We don't have everything figured out. And it's also highly communal that invites others into the process, particularly those who um, we often don't give voice to. Uh, but I'm really struck how the iterative process and this creation posture is a posture of humility um, and uh, relinquishing of control more than trying to grab for more control and power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to add... Uh, you didn't put your name in the board. <laughs> uh, that, I'll allow uh, it, Ben. I'll allow it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, that, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, just the significance of... Um, how necessary it is for the voices of all to continually contribute to the beauty of the world, you know, whether it's a project or whether it's to understanding our life and our world, we can't possibly as one person, one experience, um, know or encapsulate, uh, the beauty of the world, the beauty of God, you know, that, uh, it requires um, the voice and the experience of all for that full picture. 
for sure. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, I think Daryl. Yeah. I'm yeah. Wrong. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I guess for me, and, and pardon the stream of consciousness rambling that's been about to take place, all right? <laughs> but for me, when I when I heard you describing that model, I, I heard the masculine model sounded violent. Destroy and build, destroy and build, destroy and build. Get, get up there because you got this gigantic task in front of you, so conquer it. You know, why'd you climb the mountain? Because it was there, you know, conquer it, be on top of it. And so that, that kind of jumped out at me on that. But the other part, you know, that's, that's a mechanical view, right? I mean, it's, it's looking at the world as a mechanism to fix, to, uh, to control rather than organic as what you were describing with, with the other. And, the other thing that just kind of stuck at me is, of course, naturally, you all know that storytelling, aside from coffee, is one of the most important things in my life. You know, I, I love storytelling. And um, that this is a, a model that sounds an awful lot like a storytelling model. Again, not a thesis where you come with logical conclusions, you set up the case, you have a thesis statement going on but it's rather an ongoing story that is organic. Um, you have to be taught how to think in logic. I mean, you have to be schooled in logic. It's mm -hmm. ma very mathematical. But no one has to be schooled in story. We all just naturally, we live in story. Again, it's organic. Uh, and so our expression is story. So for what it's worth, a little bit of a rambling there, but anyway. No, I like the rambling. I like the story. Yeah. I have a similar be in my moment about stories versus logic. Okay. Uh, let me see. So I'm all like, yes, yes, good. Uh, Jen again. Yes, Jen. And then Sharon. Yeah. Um, I love uh, the concept of living life um, as though it's all just learning. Um, because if I feel like it's, either success or failure, um, uh, you feel successful or <laughs> as if like you're a failure. And so um, that if life is all about learning, you can't ever lose. So mm -hmm. it's never a problem to ask questions because um, it's about learning, um, taking that information, making new choices, making, you know, like, I just love that idea of always learning because there, there's nothing negative about, okay, that was the wrong response. I'm going to do better next time. You know, like yeah. just so yeah. freeing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sharon. Um, some of my thoughts like earlier when you were mentioning it, you know, using words like masculine and feminine, which I totally get and totally agree with. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like you're not saying that like all men would handle things like this, or all women would handle things like this. Because I'm sitting here going, yeah, I think I tend more toward the masculine model, like left to my natural devices. I just want to go through the process and hand you the thing and be like, I created you something that works, go use it. I'm yes. like, yeah, <laughs> a caveat would be that 
masculine and feminine is not directly correlated to male and female. It's kind of like a, we're all sort of a mix. And so some of us could tend more one way and some of us could tend more the other way. It's feminine more just because of the life cycle of women, how it's reflected in the life cycle of women, but it's not. Yes. Very excellent point, Sharon. And please continue on with what you were saying. <laughs> Thank you for that. I like, yeah. I like that. And I, you see, I think it is harder to do the feminine model. Um, for me, it is. And I, I do, I do see the benefit of that. I want to move toward that. I think that's a very conscious choice for me to lean in and to invite people into the process and to do it in like baby steps and move forward together instead of me just being like, look what I did. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do agree that that that's the way that I want to operate, but I have to consciously choose that because it's harder. For sure. It's harder and it's less, um, it's less visible. Um, it's just not what we, it's not what we lean toward. I think most of us. So, uh, Daryl. Sorry, I did just uh, a thought occurred to me as Sharon was, was, uh, talking about that. There's one element I think that has to be brought into this, uh, and that is the role in all of this, you know, is the role of the Holy Spirit in empowering uh, this this to take place, this model? Uh, is it more difficult than the other? You know, and but it's it's through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I, I just remember seeing a, a diagram, and of course, here we are again. We all love the engineering diagrams and evangelism, right? You know, you have a bridge and all that. Uh, but instead. We have these <clears throat> approaches as we're going. We, we want to bring the world to a right place. We want to birth the world to a right place. And we say, well, here we are broken, so why not jump over here and start working to bring the world right? But unless you go through the story of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit into that, you're only bringing your own brokenness trying to fix a broken system. Uh, mm-hmm. and that, that almost sounds again like the, the uh, masculine uh, model, but it's, it's really not. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, John? John, are you there? I can't see John on my screen. I can only see nine people. John? There. Uh, there. Yeah. So I have studied the internet marketing. My brother has been studying for many years and told me a lot of insights. So right back to what Sharon said is that, and, and what you said about, it's really to be a blend of, of not just masculine or feminine, but a combination. If you're being asked to design a website or email marketing or an e-course, you've got to put something out there. You can't, you can't iterate from zero. But if you just put something out there, you say that's it and you leave, then you have to serve the customer. Essentially, you need to always tweak your, improving your website, your e-course, whatever. So it's a both and, and that reminds me of the difference between the posture of a consultant. I, you, you go to the consultant to fix my problem versus, versus the posture of a coach. I bring you my problem to go work with me to continually implement your good ideas and change. And the last thought is, uh, Rodney King left us with the one thought that stuck in my mind. We're all in this together. 
dear God, that was all of the headlines. It was a horrible event, but that was not in our thinking. We're in this together. If we're going to move forward, we've got to include not just the blacks, but the browns. We've got to include the Asians. I mean, racial reconciliation equals all races, not just black and white. And oh, by the way, how about a mountain? It's not a mountain. It's a mountain range. It's the Rockies. I, I mean, I have been the only member of two black churches, one in Houston and one in Houston. I have been a member of a church there's one third black, white, brown. It's charismatic, which is, you know, all charismatic churches have, have a good mix. Uh, but what I know, and we're closely, closely with two black people, my, my neighbor Sheba, people know about that from a long, long, long time ago, seven years. I work with her closely. It's a mountain. It's the Rockies. Don't be thinking it's just Pikes Peak. It's the Rockies. Okay? So, you see, you, you set your expectations like, oh, this is going to be all tidy and clean, you know, in the next 90 days. No, you might take away, you know, 47 dump trucks for a doo doo, but you've got the Rockies to deal with. For sure. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Not just one. Oh, did I, I lose y'all here? Just a second. I'm coming back. Don't leave. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I swiped to try to get back to the other thing, but I couldn't find it. Yes. Okay. So I love, yes. I love all your feedback. I also love that Jen and Daryl both had things to say after they said things and then heard other things because that's the whole that's the whole thing about cyclical, you know, communication and cyclical growth and iterative development. It's like a example right in front of you. So, um, when we look at, I, I just want to wrap it up and sum it up for you, but like when we look at Jesus, when we look at, um, how he like kind of ran his ministry and the way that he talked, he was a man and fair, but he used parables of nature all the time. He compared the kingdom not to like a city or mountain or something to be conquered. Um, but he compared it to a tree spouting up from a very small seed, right? Um, he talked about it being like a blade of wheat that comes up through the ground and then goes to seed and the farmer knows it's time to harvest. Um, he talked about the world being like a field, uh, that's white and ready for harvest, right? Um, he compared change in the world and the growth of the kingdom to continuous visible cycles, not to this. I mean, there, there is an arc. There is an arc, right? But he, he le- leaned into that idea of the continuous invisible cycles. And he even compared the idea of like crisis in the world when he talked about, um, crisis that was going to become, going to be coming. He talked about it as labor pains. And contrary to what, you know, people may think labor pains are not the end of the world. Uh, they can happen multiple times over the lifespan of a woman. They um, signal not the end of things, but kind of this death and rebirth of something new, right? Um, so not only in the way that he talked, but in his ministry, Jesus welcomed women. And based on how he taught and the way that he talked, it would be reasonable to assume that he didn't just value 
um, their participation in some male model of conquering or conquest, but that he actually valued um, the way that they saw the world or that he balanced the masculine and feminine perspective. Um, and we can see that his spirituality kind of was a mixture of both of those, just like we talked about that everyone's spirituality, everyone's internal self is a mixture of both of those masculine and feminine characteristics. Um, so what can we learn, though, from feminine uh, spirituality, from that side of it, about how to move forward when we've caused the suffering of others, right? Uh, when we're in a situation where we are seeing this, like John said, this Rocky Mountain range of problems uh, where the problems are so big and are so, um, so deep, right? Um we can realize that tearing down the past, uh, knocking down the mountain <laughs> is not unthinkable or forbidden. Like there's no uh, new crop that can grow on top of an old crop. Like that's the way that the cycle of it works, right? Um, what Julie said about the, the Buddhist parable and the raft, right? We want to, in a lot of ways, drag all of our rafts along with us because we're like, oh, but that was so important. Oh, if I leave it behind, what does that mean? But in fact, that's the way life works is we can't drag all of that stuff with us. So I think about tearing down of the statues <laughs> uh, this week, um, stuff like that that we want to fight against. But uh those things are part of the new cycle of life and of growth. Um, rather than focusing on climbing ever higher, we can go back and start again, right? So we in our personal lives can tear down and rebuild small things over and over. We don't have to wait for the hierarchy, for the people above us to decide that they're going to get on board with whatever's happening and then let that trickle down to us. We can, where we are right now, tear down the things in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own communities that are contributing to systemic injustice and we can commit to doing something new. And we don't always even have to know what that new thing is. Sometimes the tearing down is what makes the way for us to realize and understand the new thing that could be birthed, right? Um, we don't have to start with the end in mind. Uh, we can ask questions and listen. Um, this reminds me of what Jen said, like listening to people that our world is better um, when we have the input of everyone and not just some people. Um, we can rely on the leadership of people who are on the ground who have been harmed by systemic racism and injustice. Um, I have read multiple times over the last couple of weeks when people have interviewed black leaders about what white people can do. Uh, literally, this has been said over and over, share your wealth. If we have wealth to share, we can share it. We can resource um, things that are being done to give support systems to black people in America. We can resource people who are fighting injustice. Uh, we can share what we have, right? Um, yeah, and we don't have to worry so much about who's going to be the president in November, although we probably should worry about that too. But if that does not turn out, the way that, you know, we might be happy with, we can at least be um, investing and creating new things right where we are. Um, Sue Monk Kidd said that in order to create, each of us must turn inward and destroy in himself 
all that he thinks that he ought to destroy in others. Um, and I really believe the destruction that she's talking about is not destruction that leads to death, right? It's destruction within ourselves that paves the way for new growth and new life, right? And so just the way that we see how God says that he does not leave people who are in suffering, I don't think that he leaves people who cause suffering either. God is intimately invested in helping us to move forward. And I think that if we take some small steps and continue taking the steps that we are, that he's going to lead us forward in an awesome way. So. Um, I'm going to pray really quick. Dear God, I just thank you for our Storyline community. Thank you for um, the opportunity to um, to live in spiritual community with these people. I thank you for the various places that we all have influence. Um, and God, I just ask that you would give us the courage, give us the humility. Um, yeah, give us just the faith to let go of anything that's holding us back from moving forward. God, to let go of anything um, that would prevent us from being part of what you're creating new in the world today, God. Um, God, we just trust ourselves to you, and we pray for the people who are suffering, who are suffering because of these systems. We pray that you would be with them, that, God, despite the deep pain, God, that you would speak into the quiets of their heart, that you would um, show your love for them, that they would know their value in your eyes, God. Um, And as we are able and as you permit us, God, would we be able to be vessels of that love to them? Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.